People buy houses every day. No big deal to the bank. But buying my first home? That was a big deal to me. That's why I got my mortgage from DCU. They were with me every step of the way. I was able to get a great rate, and they'll service my loan for as long as I have it. Plus, they let me manage my mortgage online, anytime. My mortgage from DCU was the first step, and now, I'm home. What will DCU mean to you? Insured by NCUA, NMLS number 466914, equal housing lender, membership required. Visit dcu.org. Worcester Culture Watch, a podcast connecting you with the local culture scene in Worcester. Arts, entertainment, music, and more. Worcester Culture Watch, from the Worcester Telegram and Gazette. Hello and welcome to Worcester Culture Watch on Telegram.com and WorcesterMag.com and Unity Radio 97.9, the radio with a station with a sense of humor because they keep letting us on it. <laughs> I'm your host. Sense of humor or a sense of charity? <laughs> Maybe both. Yeah, yeah, Maybe right, both. Right, right. I'm Victor Infante, entertainment editor for the Telegram and Gazette and content editor for Worcester Magazine. I'm joined in the studio, as I often am, by Worcester Magazine reporter Bill Shaner. How are you doing, Bill? I'm doing just fine today. And um, the thing everybody is talking about on Facebook this week oh, is... Oh, I, I haven't even checked the Facebook. I, I'm not... You know what? I'm not going to, because I like when I have good mental days. Okay. Yeah. Well... <laughs> Well, you can tell if there's good you, if there's good ones. You can tell me. Yeah, I haven't. I, I'd have to look and yeah. see actual comments. Most of the debate has been actual debate. Good. There's been crazies and trolls and and people's, but yeah, they're the, they are talking about your wisteria column this week, which has the title "Time to Say I Told You So," which. I wasn't trying to provoke a reaction at all with that headline. <laughs> <laughs> that was a, an apt headline. Uh, yeah. I think, that, I think that helped the story on the internet a lot. Yeah, most people don't realize this is that you don't usually write your own headlines. No, no one does. No. no the headlines are the editors. I mean, I, 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 a few do, but, you know, we have a, it's like freelancers tend to send it with it. It's yeah, like, right. But that's fine. I, and I use them or I don't. I don't. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, I write most of the headlines. So if they suck, it's my fault, not Bill's. <laughs> yeah, right, right, right. Um, I actually won, won a Nempo award. Word for headlining, headline, headline oh, writing, nice. and it was terrible. It was like the worst pun I have ever made in journalism. Oh, what was the pun? Okay, it was a AP Wire story. Yeah, a review of the the um, movie Nomeo and Juliet, <laughs> and okay. the headline was Nomeo, oh Nomeo, why were you even made? <laughs> And okay. they gave me second place okay. for a number <laughs> Okay. You know, you know, I, I just remember when I was writing headlines for a brief time at Worcester Magazine after the Worcester Magazine uh, Red Wedding, um, the, uh, I wrote the headline, what was it? Oh, yeah. We sent an intern into a burning building for journalism. That was a great headline. Yeah. We should have submitted that for Dempa. That might have won. Did we not? Oh, we should have. No, I know. I just I forgot Didn't about it. Didn't even think about yeah, it because that would have been it. in the time frame. Oh, man. Yeah. Um, speaking of Dempa Awards, evidently, I literally just found this out a minute ago. Yeah. We won. Uh, we were we, nominated. We were nominated. Yeah, so we're yeah. somewhere in the top three. Um, Bill has, um, you've got for the How Sex Ed Died in Worcester. Yeah, that one and the... I co-wrote one with Walter Bird about when the, the just the announcement story about the with the Woo Sox. Excellent. So Walter's probably finding this out now as he's listening to us. No, no, hi, I texted Walter. him. Okay. I texted him. <laughs> okay, but hey, good. hi Walter. Hi You're Walter. Um, and, gang, gang. 
Yeah, yeah, that's right. He's off with Andrew Yang at these these days. He's probably up in New Hampshire at yeah, the moment. Yeah, but yeah, and I won or was nominated for my contribution to the remaking Wh- Telegrams remaking Worcester right. series. The, about the, the local story artists. about the arts community. I remember that one. That was a good story. Thank you. Thank you. So, hey, award-winning journalism yeah, here. Look at that. We are more professional than we sound on the radio. Hey, yeah, yeah. We, you know, it's you know, it's all about the written word. The spoken word is, uh, yeah, we're working on. We'll it. leave that to other people. We're working on it. Yeah. But getting back to wisteria, um, so there are two issues that really are at the core of your column, really, right? mm-hmm. and they both really are the oh, who could have seen it coming moments. The first, of course, is the cost overruns on Polar Park. Uh, All that new money, like such a substantially, it got so much substantially more expensive. And it was already one of the most expensive minor league ballpark uh, packages ever. Like like it it is already too expensive and it increased by 30% to up to from 100 million to 130 million. to, for for reasons that were just oh no there were, there were construction overruns and oh it took us uh, you know a little bit more time and energy to to get these buildings that we had to take down by eminent domain to to take them down and it's like I, I, what, did, this I didn't make it into my column but it's like did you not account for this or did you purposefully not account for this well. And, that, and here's where I'm going to give them a little bit of a bit of a benefit of a doubt, though it might actually involve them being a little naive. Yeah, <laughs> right. But right. Um, the benefit of the doubt is, you know, the maxim in carpentry, which is, or in, in basically any contracting work, it's always going to cost double what the estimate says. Right, right, yeah. Um, if they didn't know that, I'm yeah. shocked. Right, right. Um, somebody on Facebook says, well, $30 million ac- over is not actually all that much for a project like this. And they're right. Except this it's is the thir- first one. Yeah. It's a third <laughs> of the total cost. It's, and, it went up by 30%. Yeah. And, and it's just the first cost, cost yeah. you know, increase. The, fact, the idea that we're going to have no more of these... Strikes me oh, as I, you've never been, seen a biz, building being put. Up. Yeah, I, I sincerely doubt it. And you know this this raises um, major questions uh, that I have been asking for a a long time about this idea that the economic development is going to pay for itself, and that we won't have to divert money away from other existing revenue streams and the operating budget to pay for this. And the way they've figured out how to do this one is they're going to charge people more to go to the park. Mm. They're going to raise parking parking fees and put a surge charge on tickets. Uh, so they're passing the cost off to the very people in Worcester who most enthusiastically cheered this project on, which I think is uh, kind of uh, crappy. And it raises... The the it, it's it certainly raises eyebrows to think like all right we're already looking at they're not new taxes but you know n- new f- fees fines to put on uh, to put on Worcester folk and it it's like the the Madison Holdings development the office space and the um, parking garages and the uh, apartment buildings across the street are supposed to like really deliver most of the loan payments here off the property taxes off those will deliver the loan payments on the park. And 
they're already pushing back their start date. To, uh, they've pushed back their start date to 2020, uh, 2022. And they're already – and, you know, the, the central point of my column here is, you know, if there's a recession, if there's an economic downturn, th- they're probably going to push it back further. Mm-hmm. And the longer they push it back is the longer that we're not collecting – uh, property tax, property tax, property property tax on revenue on those buildings. And that is the projections are all based on the parcel across the street delivering a lot of revenue to cover these loan payments. So if there, if that parcel across the street isn't making revenue, then the loan still has to be paid. And Worcester took out the loan and it's going to be paid one way or another. So it's, it's, a, it's incredibly risky. And this is what, you know, economists at the time – uh, uh, Deadspin, the Worcester Business Journal, myself, a lot of people said that this is a really, really risky deal, and it was that it was basically just blotted out. It got all it got all sort of like lumped in with just like Connie Luke's contrarianism. The way we use the word contrarian in Worcester is so stupid, but it got all lumped Connie in. Connie, it's not wrong all the time. <laughs> exactly, but like to sit to call all of that just like contrarian nonsense means that you're taking an opposite stance just for the sake of it and not like actually pointing out that this is an extremely risky and unnecessary bit of like municipal financing uh, when we could just, you know, leave that area alone and let it get good by itself, which has already been doing for 10 years. Yeah, it had, that that area had been had been thriving without without the ballpark. Yeah. And- well, okay. Not that area specifically where the ballpark is, kind of like a two blocks the other direction, a block in each direction. In yeah, direction. and I think it's incredibly naive to think that the yeah. ballpark is going to help that uh, because no. it, the very, very different, uh, incompatible urban experiments. Yeah, uh, the the way that the canal district uh, flourished is sort of opposite to the way that this this park project is going to work. Uh, so. It's um, I don't know. It's just when I think about it, I just get, I just get. Uh, I was joking on Twitter. I I, <laughs> I, I posted a, a picture of Paws, the the Paw Sox <laughs> mascot, and I said uh, that feeling when this is the guy that politically radicalizes you, <laughs> <laughs> because like so I I like I want to like join uh, Annie Fa when I think about the the Paw Sox. <laughs> Honestly, it's it gets me it gets me so fired up. The just just so. What really gets me fired up is that okay, this this I'm not a fan of this uh, exercise in municipal governance. But then on top of it, we're supposed to celebrate the signing of this so-called community benefits agreement that's going to you know uh, the w- with the intent of like spreading the wealth around and making sure that the community is uh, taken care of. And the community benefits agreement is so thin as to it almost does not exist. Like um, the 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 big headline concession, three million dollars for Green Island, that was announced first in April. Mm-hmm. I was at the meeting where it was announced, and it's federal uh, federal block grant money. It's not even city money. It's not money from the city. It's not money from the team. Uh, it's money that was already being spent that they just put in the deal. And it's like, okay, yeah, this is part of the deal now. Uh, and um, then you get down to the section about uh, enforcement and how the. The, what accountability the community has with the city to make sure that any of the stuff in this gets taken care of. And that's where you're like, oh, my God. Like, what, what even is this? The, uh, the city is, quote, responsible for all monitoring and compliance enforcement for all the commitments made in this agreement. 
So okay, they're gonna they're gonna Watch keep themselves. themselves. Yeah, yeah. Uh, the uh, Worcester Community Labor Coalition recognizes and agrees that the city has the sole and exclusive authority to enforce compliance. Like, oh, okay, making it a little bit more clear here. And then the last item, which is just such a uh, um, the WCLC, the Worcester Community Labor Coalition, affirmatively agrees to waive any and all rights to the extent such rights exist to bring any leading legal proceedings against the city, the team, or their affiliates in any action, asserted inaction, or noncompliance. Meaning that if they don't do any of the things they say they're going to do in this so-called community benefits they agreement, can't be sued. they can't do, you can't do anything about it. Yep. You can't do a single thing about it. And that would, that would be insulting if there were legitimately good things in this. But it's even more insulting. The community garden sounds nice. <laughs> it's it's more insulting that they they make vague promises to do things that they basically should already be doing or have already been planning to do, and then they put this enforcement trap on it where they're going to hold themselves accountable and you can't do anything about it. And that's just uh, what what I said in the column, and it's one of the lines I'm most proud of in my writing career is a big hand drawn middle finger. Would have sufficed. Like if they just, if you know, Ed Augustus just came in, drew a middle finger on a piece of paper, slapped it down, and said, "Here you go, sign this." Like that would have been the uh, the same thing. Yeah, and though I would like to note a, a couple things, really. But let's sticking on this one for a second, then maybe go back to the to the cost overage. Yeah. Um, the thing that is really interesting about this is that they felt the need to do it at all. Right. That means they felt they were feeling outside pressure, which means that if they can be still be pressured on things here. Now, this is a bit of a Potemkin village. Um, we're not, <laughs> you yeah. know, it, this isn't, there's really no there there. And we, I think anybody who's looked at it for five minutes can tell you that. Right. But, but the fact that they blinked is actually interesting. Yeah, I, I mean, I guess. Uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, sometimes, some, sometimes you need to, you know, yeah. look and see see where the show is. Right. And I, I think that 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 is true. But I also think that, and I don't, I don't even really understand the the Worcester Community Labor Coalition's uh, decision to sign this. Like, wouldn't it be better to for no deal? And to, to drag this out and like really make this a wedge issue instead of like kind of cheering this on when it happened. I mean, I don't know. That's not, not my prerogative. But uh, yeah, the, I mean, the fact that this was also, I mean, it's already been a bust. The fact that this wasn't part of the original city council vote, mm -hmm. uh, this wasn't a stipulation. The stipulation from the city council is only to pursue negotiations for a possible community benefits agreement down the road. The fact that construction started without this without any sort of uh, any, any of the things a community benefit agreement could have accomplished with construction costs like hiring local, hiring the right kind of companies, hiring companies that hire the right kind of people, any of that, that didn't happen. Uh, so it's, it's like uh, too little too late. And, and on top of that, they made it entirely toothless. Yeah, uh, it's it's very uh, it is it puts me in a dark place uh, to to think about. This. I'm feeling that. Yeah, I'm feeling yeah. that. It's uh, it it really something I've been chewing on for a long time is thinking about, uh, you know, the, the levers of power in city government and who serves who for what reason. And uh, th this is a pretty good example of who city government 
facilitates mm, well, uh, and, and it, for it, what reason. And it is, it is fascinating because I was, you know, thinking back about the overage, which again, who could have saw that coming yeah. except for literally everybody. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm also reminded of another, another maxim in, in contracting, which is good, fast or cheap pick two. Right. Um, fast, they have to do. Mm-hmm. They are legally bound to have this open by the first pitch of whatever. Was it was. Is it next year or the next season? After 2021. So it'll be the next season, not this season. But when, the next season. Yeah. yeah. So yeah. spring of 2021. So, yeah, that's fast mm-hmm. for a construction project this size. Yeah. That leaves good and cheap. We better hope it's good because it is not going to be cheap. Yeah, it is already uh, not cheap. Right, right. And, and oh, that's that's a that's a fun thought. Yeah. So you know, man, there is a funny thing because people like the people. The thing that people point to the difference between this stadium and Pawtucket, which was there was expectation that everything would expand around the, you know, grow up, sprout up around the stadium in Pawtucket. And of yeah. course that never happened because right. it never does. Yeah. Um, here we have the opposite concern, which is there are, there are a thriving districts surrounding, surrounding that place. Yeah. And many of which actually may realistically may benefit from at least in the small term from some of the, it is a possibility. I it's won't, a, it's I won't, a possibility. It's a I possibility. won't, I won't discount it. Yeah. It's a possibility. Um, you know, a bunch of people coming out of the ballparks, a good fraction of them will want dinner and drinks, you know? Yeah. And that's, that's, that's what's in that district a lot. Right. But you got to think that across the street, they're going to put in like a one ten grill or something and yeah. that everyone's just going to go there because you know, that you're not, immersing yourself in the neighborhood when you're going to a ball game. Yeah. So that's, you know, this may be a net loss, but on the other hand, the, the existence already of a culture there may actually benefit the ballpark more where I think there are there, if there is a, if there is developing a, a community habit of coming to that area. Yeah. That may, that there's one of two things will happen that will either make people not want to come, which is possible, or it will be another reason to come. I don't know yet which it is because we'll never we won't know until they open their doors. Yeah. But I don't like to discount those possibilities because uh, there are levels possible. there are levels where it is fundamentally different than a lot of the other projects just yeah. because of the nature of the community. Right. But that being said, yeah, we all saw the cost averages coming. Yeah, we know this is a risky endeavor yeah and it's it's really risky because mm-hmm. i mean the the we could end up in a hole where we are paying every year an enormous amount of money in this loan payment that mm-hmm. could be going to other things yeah uh and that's just that's a very real possibility and it's uh, and it just got worse because we just took out another loan so <laughs> it's like it's <laughs> Why we had to do this is baffling to me still, but minor league baseball. Why, I don't so necessarily. Worcester <laughs> is just like the the entire history of like Worcester City Hall is is just chasing after what is going to kill Worcester. They just they're just they're just addicted to things that are going to kill Worcester as a real city. The DCU Center, St. V's, uh, the Galleria, uh, and now the project of turning the Galleria into a fake neighborhood. Uh, uh, 
is all of these things are just like if you just left it alone and went through the business of just collecting taxes and paying for the schools and for public transportation and for all the regular stuff and didn't chase after these shiny objects, uh, we'd be in a better spot like over the course of the past 60 years. Yeah. I, when I first moved to Worcester the, the second time um, in 2000, I want to say, 2001. Yeah. Uh, no, it must have been 2001. Um, I was writing for the in-city times. I was writing a column for them. Yeah. And, um, you know, I, I started talking about Worcester's addiction to white elephants. Right. Right. And it's, it's been 20 years Yeah, and it's, it's, it that hasn't changed. Now I will, I will, the difference here being this, there are multiple efforts at the same time around the city, which actually is different. Another, it is a big other factor because it's not just one thing. There are so many things happening across the city. So right, which is but different. They're all of the same uh, white elephant character. Yeah, uh, it, which is you know, uh, it's just like um, it's not how I would I would run a city. No, but then again, I don't think anybody would let me run a city. No, I, mean, I would run a city like I run this podcast, and it would go badly. I, I yeah. <laughs> I would be neglectful. Uh, so there is, there, they have a modicum of, uh, of, I can't, I couldn't do that. Right. Well, yeah, but, but so, so my critique uh, here is of Worcester, certainly, but Worcester runs Worcester the same way that every single city runs every single city in America. It's true. And it's just, it's just at the, the foundational concept of growth is the, is the necessary factor that we must always pursue at expense of everything else is, uh, you know, some, some free market stuff that I'm not necessarily, uh, I don't think we should accept as fact, but we do accept it as fact. And to even bring that conversation to the Overton window, you get kind of dismissed as a, as a kook, um, which I'm kind of leaning into. I don't care. You, you dismiss me as a kook. That's I don't fine. Care. Yeah. Yeah. It's fine. The David Bowie song, spend the day with a couple of kooks. <laughs> uh, you know, yeah, it's all good. It's all good. Yeah. Uh, no, no, no. I think, I mean, we're going to see, but I think the takeaway here now is if if you think the overages are stopping here, you're, you've got another think coming because yeah. it, there, there will be another one. Maybe two more, maybe two years. I will say that the way that this is going to get passed off onto us Mm -hmm. will be a series of wonky and obscure changes that no one will really notice at once, but will all add up to paying more for less city services. I I think that is a safe safe assumption, and that's why people call it a boondoggle, Mm -hmm. and that's how it works. Uh, And they're going to... They're gonna wiggle and squirm to to say that it, you know this is a successful project and that it is not adversely impacting anything. Um, but at the end of the day, you know we we put our neck on the line to benefit a couple of millionaires from Rhode Island uh, for no other reason than to benefit them. Uh, really, when you when you really think about it, so. I, uh, yeah, I, this was a tough week to, to follow Worcester politics for me. It really, I can see that. Yeah. I can see that. Yeah. But you know, who knows next week could be great. <laughs> <laughs> I hope so. On that note, I think we're going to take a brief break here. We're going to be listening to the winter project. 
And we're back. You have been listening to Long Gone by The Winter Project. That appears on their new CD, Brighter Days. Um, you can read my review of them in this week's Worcester Magazine, and you can see them for yourself um, at an early show this Saturday at Ralph's Rock Diner, 3 p.m. show. Um, yeah, I know. It's weird. I believe it's 3 p.m. That's I, You don't see shows that early that often anymore, especially in the dead of winter, but eh, what the heck. Why not? There's something to do on a Saturday afternoon. Anyways, I am now joined in the studio by entertainment reporter Richard Duckett. How are you today, Richard? Hi, I'm good, Victor. And you have the story that is in the cover of this week's Worcester Magazine, Road to the Bronx. Yes, um, interesting um, stories, really, about both the musical and one of the lead actors, who is Nick Fradiani, who... um, Won American Idol in 2015. He, however, had never acted in a musical, um, (laughs) sung or acted in a musical on stage until the producers of um, A Bronx Tale, uh, which will be at the Hanover Theatre January 16th to 19th, um, contacted him about the national tour. He still had to audition, but he was cast and is getting good reviews for his um, role as Lorenzo, who's the father in the movie. Um, in the uh, Sorry, well, it was a movie. It's also a musical. Um, in the movie, one-man show, <laughs> musical. It's the story. Uh, it's set in the Bronx in the 1960s, and uh, a Bronx tale is about um, a tug-of-war between a... Um, that takes place in the heart of a young boy between uh, his loyalty to his bus driver dad, who is Lorenzo, which is um, the part Nick Fradiani is playing, and um, the allure of a powerful monster, mobster, also a monster, you could say, uh, Sonny. Um, you really don't get a whole lot of fluffy, sunny mobs, mobsters, do you? <laughs> I know, but, um, well, you know, the boy likes him. He's, oh, still, sunny, sunny is nice to the boy. While dispatching some people, you know, who uh, have crossed his, crossed his path. Um, the musical is based on, well, originally it was, it was a one-man one one show um, that was created by Chaz Palmiteri uh, in, in the 1980s, and then based on, based on his own experiences. Um, then it was made into a 1993 movie, A Bronx Tale, which is generally considered to be a modern classic, and Robert De Niro played the role of Lorenzo. Um, then it um, became a musical, might seem rather odd um, given the storyline, but it is a musical. But um, there are plenty of dark musicals out there, of course. Of course, you know. And um, and this has a book by um, broad by Tony winning uh, composer and Tony winning uh, lyricist. Um, and it ran on Broadway for seven hundred performances from two thousand sixteen to eighteen, and now it's uh, on. It's currently on a national tour, and um, Nick Fradiani um, is getting good reviews. Um, oh, excellent! Yeah, it was. Um, I interviewed him on the phone. He was in uh, West Palm Beach, and uh, the day before, the um, Palm Beach Daily News had written that uh, Fradiani infuses the role with warmth, and as a 2015 American Idol winner, he has the pipes to steal the show. 
the emotion he pours into these streets, the one act closer, in which Lorenzo vows to fight for his son's future, turns into the show's standout number. Wow, well, that's something. You know, it's funny because, so I mean, how many act, how many singers have these TV shows turned out by now? American Idol and The Voice and America's Got Talent. I mean, right. we're, we're in the hundreds easily. Right. And, you know, for the most part, most of them have actually been pretty fantastic singers. You know, at least, you know, maybe not all of them stood out or all of them were pop ready. But but it is it is interesting how how that platform, they might, very few of them have become stars, but it has helped them to other places, which is nice. Yeah, the road thereafter uh, can be a difficult one, um, uh, especially with their um, albums that they get out of winning it. It doesn't seem yeah. like it's always uh, uh, worked out as well as it could. Um, but uh, Nick Fradiani is upbeat about um, the impact that winning American Idol had on his life, and, and uh, he acknowledges that he wouldn't be on the stage of a Bronx tale now had it not been for that. Yeah, well, there you go. And maybe musical theater is something that more of these contestants should consider because there's some, it seems to be a pretty natural suit, actually. Yeah, and it's good for the producers, too. It gives them a name to attach to the uh, tour, touring production. Definitely, definitely. And, you know, of course, getting names, getting people into seats for musical theater can be can be difficult. I mean, it's better than most other forms of theater, but it's still... Theater, theater's still having a rough go of it. Well, yeah, it helps. It helps to have a name, it you does. know, no matter what the show. I think exactly. So, what else is going on in, our, in the musical and theatrical world of Worcester? Well, speaking of um, musicals on the Broadway stage, uh, there was there was a musical going back in time. Uh, opened on Broadway on September twenty second, nineteen sixty four. But not all the reviews were um, encouraging. Uh, Variety declared that it had no memorable songs, while the New York Times called it uh, a near miss. However, um, since that show opened, September 22nd, 1964, it's been performed every day of of the year somewhere around the world. And that show is Fiddler on the Roof. (laughs) And... uh, uh, despite uh, one opinion that they had no memorable songs, we you know, we we're fam- we're familiar with a few of them, like Indeed. Sunrise, Sunset, To Life, If I Were a Rich Man, uh, and I could go on. Anyway, it's a fascinating story, and it's the subject of um, a new documentary called Fiddler, A Miracle of Miracles, which is uh, being presented as part of the 2020. Mass Central Mass International Jewish Film Festival. It's going to be screened 2 p.m. January 26th with the Willows uh, in Worcester. And um, I talked to the producer who uh, was part of interviewing um, scores of people um, for to tell the story of um, the musical. Some of them um, died off after their interviews. Um, oh, wow. Um, so so it's, 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 it's interesting the way the world has embraced uh, Fiddler on the Roof. I mean, it's set in a Russian Jewish village in 1905. Um, it was actually the first 
um, American musical on the U.S. stage not to have uh, an American character. Um, hmm. So the backers were... I hadn't little, realized that. Yeah, the backers were maybe a little bit nervous. Um, <laughs> but it went on to... Um, Win nine nine uh, Tony Awards. Um, as I said, it hasn't. It's performed everywhere, including Japan, where it's been readily embraced and um, is, is part of the Japanese culture these days. Wow. Well, I mean, it's it is it's a really good, it's a really compelling musical. I mean, I've seen it many a couple times now. Yeah, I think um, what's interesting about it is that um, as the producer um, Valerie Thomas. Um, uh, indicated it, it it's sort of um a show that sneaks up on you because it does actually deal with a lot of themes um which a lot of people can relate to in different ways including female empowerment because um uh, the three eldest daughters of uh, Tevye, the patriarch, um, rebel against him uh, and and the traditions uh, of the village. Um, but you can also relate to it from an, an older person's viewpoint who sees uh, a certain way of life and tradition crumbling around them. Um, it's very timely in that the village depicted in Fiddler on the Roof um, uh, gets destroyed, really, by mm. uh, by edict of the of the Russian Tsar, target of, of, of blatant an- anti-Semitism, and of course we're seeing anti-Semitism, unfortunately, on the rise, both uh, back in Europe and also in sadly in this country. Indeed. So, uh, so there are a lot of things um, that um, extend uh, it out of its um, sort of seemingly narrow setting and make it still relevant today 55 years after it first premiered on broadway well definitely and it's you know like like we said it remains a very compelling show by any standard whatsoever um there's a production of it coming up somewhere nearby and um yes the the show was uh, revived i think for the fifth time on broadway a couple of years ago and it was directed by bart sure who's a graduate of the college of, Ho- of the holy cross and he's also directing the national tour that came out of that Broadway revival. And that's coming to the Providence Performing Arts Center uh, next month. And oh, excellent. I'll be interviewing um, Sher uh, for a future story. So stay tuned. Looking forward to that. Is there anything else that we should be talking about? Well, I mean, there are plenty of good things coming up and good stories. So um, stay tuned for them. Indeed. And then one thing I do want to bring up um remind people about saturday at the raven music hall is um musicians for puerto rico it's a benefit for for our charities in puerto rico that are helping with the rebuilding after the earthquake and hurricane maria so there'll be information about that in friday's telegram and gazette um some great people including danny phantom and matt soper and Mateo Sanchez are going to be performing and you should check it out. All right. And that about wraps it up. As always, our music was composed by DJ Manipulator. We'll be back again next week.